Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. In the late 1990s, between the comedy booms, Perhaps the hottest live stand-up show in Los Angeles happened every week on a Tuesday night. That's when Guy Tory began hosting Fat Tuesdays at the Comedy Store, introducing black comedy for black audiences into the lily-white dominated landscape of show business, or as Tory called it, he brought the hood to Hollywood. This hip-hop comedy show was good for business at both the Comedy Store and great timing for TV, what with two brand new networks in the WB and UPN having a need for new stars. Tori got roles on both networks with The Jimmy Fox Show on the WB and Good News on UPN. In a new three-part docuseries for Prime Video, director Reginald Hudlin assembled an all-star lineup including Dave Chappelle, Chris Tucker, Snoop Dogg, and Tiffany Haddish to dish on the significance of Fat Tuesdays for both stand-up comedy and for Hollywood. And I got Hudlin and Tori to dish with me. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com. So you can read bonus commentary on this episode, as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! Good to meet you, Sean. Good to meet you too, Reg and Guy. I'm uh, I'm glad to see that uh, St. Louis and East St. Louis could work together. <laughs> it's a big deal! It's a big deal! In fact, we're pretty confident that... This is the greatest collab between St. Louis and East St. Louis in the history of humanity. Even, even bigger than the bridge. <laughs> bigger than the bridge. I mean, we're like, did Miles Davis play for anybody from St. Louis? I don't think so. I, I think, I think this is it. I think we in all mediums. Not even, not even Cedric could pull that off. Not even <laughs> Cedric. If he wasn't busy as he is, he would, he could. Yeah, yeah. But again, Cedric was a key assistant series. So, you know, he, he, he gives credit. He, you know, the scorecard's still pumped up. The stats get Yeah, he, he, he loves a big part. So, so Reg, uh, I want to start with you. Mm-hmm. Um, did you decide to approach Guy about making this docuseries after watching Showtime's series on the comedy store? Uh, no, actually, uh, Guy called me about it years before that special. Um, he, he had this idea for a while that, you know, he wants to document this history. And um, so I was like, okay, it sounds interesting. Uh, and then he called me back and he said, look, no, this is real. Uh, Amazon wants to do it. They just want to know if you want to do it. Uh, I said, that sounds great. Please send me the info. I'm a little crazy this weekend because I'm producing the Emmys. But as soon as that's over, I'll call you right back. <laughs> I'm happy to say I did call him right back right after the Emmys and said, oh, my God, this is the greatest idea ever. I can't wait to do it. But, but Guy, it must have, like, did you watch the Showtime docuseries? Yeah. Yes. What did it feel like seeing a distinct lack of Fat Tuesdays in there? No, it was it was it was bittersweet. Um, uh, part of the reason, part of the thing was like, wow, Fat Tuesdays was such a part of the fabric of of the comedy store 
in the 90s, which actually ended up keeping the comedy store open. And this came from the owners of the comedy store. And then it was like, well, you know what? Everything happens for a reason. God is in control. God didn't want us to be mentioned in that, in that, in that comedy series because he wanted us to tell our story our way and break the news our way. Because as, as nice as that documentary was, it wouldn't have told the story the way that Reggie Hudlin was going to tell that story. Well, that, that is, in essence, the story of Fat Tuesdays itself, right? That, that Black comedians could get spots you know, like John Wither- Witherspoon, who was the late great John Witherspoon, who was great in Boomerang, uh, could be an OG member of the com- comedy store. But, you know, as as people say, between him and, and Paul Mooney at the end, there wasn't there wasn't a lot else going on there or, or at the improv or at the Laugh Factory. Yeah, and, and you're right. And that's the moral of, of Fat Tuesdays. I mean, a long time ago, I stopped complaining uh, about people being blind to talent and uh, and opportunities, and start blessing them because you know, wow, we got to do our own special uh, with an incredible all star lineup, three nights on Fat Tuesdays. You know that would you know th- you know that kind of showcase wouldn't have happened if we if there had been a little token representation within that special. Um, so, and, and ultimately, you know, what was beautiful is that once the comedy star saw what we were doing, they embraced, you know, Guy, first of all, when he pitched the idea in the first place, and then when we were doing our series, you know, we said, hey, we need this and this from you guys. They were 100% supportive of us. So life is long, you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes people don't see, you know, an opportunity. But then when you prove your point by doing it on your own, people say, you know what? You were right. And, you know, we're on board. So do for self. I, I love the guy that, that you talk about how, one, you didn't know what you were doing to the point where it didn't occur to you that you wanted to have an association with the Fat Farm clothing line. But it didn't occur to you that you were doing a show on Tuesdays that could be Fat Tuesdays until someone else pointed it out to you. Well, well, women are smarter than men. That's the scientific fact. <laughs> you know, that's, I don't care what you want to say. Women are smarter than men. Uh, black women, black female babies develop quicker than any other human species. So it's fitting that a black woman helped me come up with the name Fat Tuesdays. And it was just so simple to her. And I was trying to do all this other stuff. And she was, you know, she just, I'll save it for the doc for people to watch it. But it was that simple and that quick. And I was like, duh. <laughs> but, but why what, why was the night you were given Tuesday was there a, a legitimate reason for that or I never asked but I think that may have been the one night that was dark uh, for the comedy store in the belly room uh, there was nothing going on and, and, the, and the comedy store in all fairness to the comedy store they kind of used the belly room as their incubator you know they have three rooms total and right. if you want to you have an idea for a show you start in the belly room and then if it does well, you may, they may move it to the original room. And if it does well, then it goes to the main room, which is so it goes from 90 seats to 200 seats to 400 seats. We went from 90 seats to 400 seats. We didn't do, we didn't do the, the original room, the 200 seater. 
we went from it was like <laughs> it's like the Negro leagues. <laughs> we we we, was, <laughs> we went from playing in cotton fields to you know uh, Jackie Robinson to, uh, to Evans Field. Yeah, uh, and doing and it's funny because in one of the early interviews I did with Cat Williams, he he says that he says you know Fat Two is with the Jackie Robinson of black comedy in Hollywood. You say in 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 the series, you say that you felt like nine months was a good time because it like equates to giving birth yeah. to the show. But in the moment in 1995, did it feel like nine months was the right amount of time, or were you itching even from the jump to get to the main room? Well, what happened was I was I was doing it in the belly room for for that amount of time. I ended up getting a writing gig on. Um, a show called Minor Adjustments. So I couldn't be there every week. I was a, it's a UPN show. And so what I would do was I let this other comedian named Buddy Lewis host on the, the, the second, uh, third and fourth Tuesday. And I would do a bigger show every first Tuesday in the main room. Okay. And that show was so successful, Mitzi wanted to do it every week in the main room. And I was like, wait a minute, that's 400 seats every Tuesday <laughs> on a Tuesday uh, in, in, in Hollywood, I had no, there was no social media. I had no money for advertising. I made the flyers myself, uh, Kinko's and passing them out with comedian friends and family members. And on top of that, I, I didn't have the staff to do it every week. And so I fought her off for like six months. And she said, look, I'm going to put another room in there on those other nights. And I was like, no, I didn't want the people to get Tuesdays confused. So it was like, you know what? Let me just, let me just level up. And let me make this happen and, 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 and happen that way. So it was, it was out of necessity because we were turning people away every week in the belly room. There was the parking lot and the sidewalks were full of black people who couldn't get in to the, to the belly room. And they just wait to after the show. We, we, if I was thinking back then, I would have done two shows. I would have <laughs> done, you know, early show and a, and a late show. But, you know, when you're in it, you're just, you're just in it. But I knew when I moved to the main room, I had to do a better show. I had to do less comics, more comics with names, and and tighten up and tighten up the game because to give to be given an opportunity for black people, we have a short leash uh, that they give us, and if it doesn't work, it could ruin it for anybody coming behind me. So I had to make sure that I I I I put all I pushed all the all the chips in at the table at one time and come and come hard or go home. Yeah, when you when you said it was uh, you were given a one month trial period and that month was February, the cynic in me automatically said, "Oh yeah, sure they do that for Black History Month. Like they're going <laughs> to give you February. Like it's such a like a for marketing." <laughs> you know, it's funny because for the first time in my entire life, I just put two and two together that I never even thought about that. Because <laughs> here's you, the thing: yeah. we don't we don't we don't walk around. I have to get reminded that I'm black. I get reminded I'm black. I love being black. Don't get it twisted. But I don't realize I'm black until someone does some bullshit that reminds me, oh, that's that's black. We don't walk around like that. We walk around as humans. And then someone, like, say they were being short. I don't realize I'm short until somebody tall says something about it. <laughs> so, you know, you I didn't realize it was February, but I never put two and two together that it was Black History Month. I just, it was a, I just wanted to be funny and showcase other comedians. You know, guy, you mentioned getting a getting a, a gig on a UPN show. I'm surprised that in the series there's plenty of stuff about Def Jam, but I didn't hear a lot about UPN and the WB. 
which launched the same year Fat Tuesdays launched. And I, th- I have to feel like that's some sort of serendipity going on there because just in the moment where you were bringing the hood to Hollywood, Hollywood has two new TV networks looking to program shows. Yeah. Well, and Reggie can speak to that because he's, he's, you know, he's on that side. I'm going to let Reggie speak to that. Yeah, well, you know, what, it, what you had was uh, a moment where there was an explosion of black culture in every media platform. So you, you know, have really hip hop uh, music dominating the mainstream. You know, the illusion that rock and roll is America's popular music really crumbled in that era, right? Uh, with the with the invention of SoundScan. They're like, oh, Rolling Stone isn't the number one album, LL Cool J is, right? Uh, <laughs> and then uh, at the same time, you had black cinema having this really explosive moment with Spike Lee and myself and John Singleton, you know, making all these movies. And suddenly it's like, oh, wait, these... These black stories are mainstream hits in Hollywood uh, and, you know, in the fashion world, the same thing again. So, yes, all, all, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of 20 year cycles, essentially. Right. Because, you, you know, you see it in the 70s, then you see it in the 90s. You see it right now, you know, uh, where there's an upswing where suddenly black culture has an explosive moment in it and becomes a dominant presence in and black women culture. and black yeah. women being you behind the scenes making great, great, great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, because ultimately black culture uh, is driven by black women. So, you know, all that being integral. But back to your point, which is UPN. You know, what happens, you know, what has happened uh, historically is whatever network is on the bottom ratings wise deploys a black strategy. So in that case, it was UPN and the WB said, oh, wait a minute, we need to do some black programming to build up our viewership the way that Fox did. Uh, and right. Fox had black programming until they got the NFL and they said, OK, well, we're good. <laughs> Thank you very much. See, see you, Rock. Uh, exactly. So, I mean, so, you know, they both kind of deployed that strategy um, and probably would have been more successful if they had actually, I mean, it's interesting because the WB, uh, they had a lot of black comedy shows, but not always with black comedians in them, right? And, you know, that can work that you can have comedic actors, but, you know, my theory is always, I want to be safe and have a, a brilliant stand-up who can act, you know, in those shows. I think that tends to be the, you know, the, the strongest formula for success. But rules are also made to be broken. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, those networks were were giving Guy jobs. Jamie Foxx show, good news. Until until Guy got too big and he had to do all these movies. <laughs> Indeed. And, and then and then it's it's kind of. Um, I don't know what to make of it. The fact that the guy that you ended Fat Tuesdays the same year that Reg ends up going to head BET. Wow. Man, you were making extraordinary connections that uh, I hadn't <laughs> yeah. even thought about. Wow. That all oh, happened at the same time. But, but, but actually, but that also makes sense, right? Because mm-hmm. if you, if you say, I mean, the, the point was guy got to a point in his career where his manager said, look, you're doing five things. You you can't do all five. So, you know, guy, you know, and his argument was Fat Tuesdays is important, but it's actually the least profitable for you. 
you know, so Guy had to go on and grow in the other aspects of his career. You know, uh, that was the right thing to do for Guy. He had given back. He had created enormous opportunity for the entire black comedy community, and it was time for him to take care of him. But I made sure I passed the torch. Yes. I made sure that that night went on with someone else. And because we had already had Chocolate Sundays and Mo' Better Mondays and Whacked Out Wednesdays going, these other outlets, um, it was cool. If I had probably still been the only show like that in town, maybe not. Maybe I would have kept it going. But because right. I, I felt it was it was safe in the hands of these other outlets and that black comedians still had a place in Hollywood to go showcase and uh, and and the audience had a place to come to see this this wonderful black. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you had you had succeeded. You had Johnny Appleseed in Black Comedy, right? Uh, and you plant these seeds that were blossoming all over the city and all over the country, right? And for me, when I got the call, I was like, "Well, I hadn't thought about being an executive, but I guess that's the inevitable next step, right?" You know, it's one thing for us to have individual success, but we need to build and grow platforms that understand our content. So, you know, I was brought in specifically to get BET into the original content business, which we did. And, you know, it was a real sea change there, you know, we're, you know, doing, you know, original programs, moving them into scripted programs, you know, doing the Black Panther animated series, which helped built the path for the Black Panther uh, live action feature film. You know, so, you know, that, that's the thing, you know, you, once you get on the path of like, how do we expand and grow, you know, our platforms? Yeah. You end up doing things you don't expect. So to, so to wrap this up, you, you do show how, how Fat Tuesdays begat all of these other shows, not just, in LA, but across the country. And you also show how now we have all these other platforms like TikTok and Instagram for, for comedians to do what they want to do and not have to wait for a Mitzi Shore or Jamie Masada or Fred Friedman to give you the okay to do your thing. So what do you think in 2022 and going forward, what do you think is the importance of a showcase like Fat Tuesdays today? Or is there still a need for those showcases Absolutely. Uh, because you're... I love the new social comedy platform, but nothing beats nothing beats that live stand up. Nothing beats getting on that stage and and being in the moment and seeing a comedian just do their thing live like that. It's different, and you it's I've seen some of these comedians who do the social stuff and they're killing it, and I've seen some of them on stage. And some kill, some are great, but some, after seven minutes, that's it. When you got 45 minutes to an hour to give someone a show, someone who paid their hard-earned money to, out to come see you, took a night out of their schedule to come see you, and you got to deliver. So these showcases are important because what if the internet goes away one day and, <laughs> and you have to do live stand-up? And also just that muscle, creating that muscle of live stand-up being in the moment helps you when you're a game show host, when you're a radio uh, host, when you're uh, any hosting anything, having those chops and putting those reps on stage on comedy clubs every night at quick reaction in the moment. There is no, there are no retakes. 
It helps you in those other forms of, of entertainment. Yeah. In the same way, you know, if you ask, you know, Denzel Washington, any serious actor, like, look, you, you can't go to the next level until you do live theater. This, you know, mm. you know, the same is true for comedy. There's something about standing there. Look, you, you could put out a funny 30 second video and that's great. Um, but you know, that live moment of like, boom, here I am. And you know, the, 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 the terror of dead air <laughs> when you tell a joke and it does not land. That's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a character building. And you can't read the room on social media. <laughs> you can't read the room. Sure. How many pictures they got up there in the gallery? You can't read the room. You can't feel that energy of the room. What's going on at that moment? You can't do that without being on stage and live and and doing it thousands and thousands and thousands of hours. Well, Reg and Guy, I'm glad that the internet still exists. One, so people <laughs> can watch Fat Tuesdays, and two, that I could. Uh, Link up with you guys today. I wish we had more time, but uh, I'm, ge- I'm getting the hook. Well, look, we it's been... you, Sean. Yeah, absolutely. This has been uh, a great conversation. Uh, let, let, let's do it again. Yeah, I'm with it. Sounds good to me. Thanks. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.